Hi, welcome to Find the Lit. I'm Jess. I'm Emily. And we haven't recorded in a while. I think the last time we recorded was last summer. Yeah. Um, I was in Japan, and so we did a couple of episodes while I was there that were long distance. And I'm now back and have been for a few months, but we're still having to record long distance. Yeah, you're like literally a 10 minute walk away. 15 minute walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. But longer distance than we'd normally record, which would be across the table from each other. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's because it's actually illegal for us to be in the same room right now. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, how's your quarantine day been today, Em? Um, It's been okay. I... I did go for a little walk, one of my one-a-day exercises, um, and it started hailing, so that was quite cold. Um, it's I had to walk to my mum and dad to pick up the car, and it's re- it was really weird being in town. I haven't like gone that far into the city centre yet, and at one point I was walking like past the cathedral area, and it was just there were no cars, there were no people. It was really odd. I don't think that's ever happened, like, during the day before. Yeah, it's much quieter now. The first couple of days I went out for my daily exercise and I could not believe how many people were just walking and running everywhere. There's so, so many people have taken up running over this, but... I know. (laughs) The last few days have been so quiet. Like, the flyovers were outside my window and there are no cars on it. At all. This, this is a, this will be the nicest time for you to have like to sit out on your balcony because you're not going to have any cars or any traffic. Yeah, well, it would be if it wasn't freezing cold, but yeah, it was horrible today. There was also like someone walked like towards me and crossed the road when I appeared, which is just in normal life would be so weird. <laughs> yeah, everyone has such a wide berth around you. Like people walk yeah. out into the road to like avoid being within a kind of half a meter of you yeah it's strange like parts of it I'm still kind of enjoying it in the sense that I just have a lot of time to myself and to read and stuff like that but certain things are starting to irritate me now like I just I feel like it's starting to get in the way of just really petty things and I know some people are really suffering so whatever I won't complain about it too much but like I wanted to look at some shampoo earlier on the Boots website and I went on there, and there's a queue to get onto the Boots website of 20,000 people. And it said, you'll be waiting over an hour to get on. And it's like, I want to just look at some shampoo and see how much it is. <laughs> Stuff like that. That's so unheard of. It's like yeah. Boots is the new Glastonbury. It's, <laughs> yeah. Like 9am, like everyone logs on to buy the shampoo and it's all sold out in one minute. <laughs> I might have like set my alarm, wake up at one in the morning and do my boots shopping. I've also never had as many discussions about toilet roll in my life. Like I was talking to some friends this morning and they were saying, oh, well, you can just use um, kitchen roll. And then someone else was like, that doesn't flush, though. And then we were talking about the absorbency of kitchen roll and whether it would be appropriate to put in your toilet. (laughs) Yeah, really boring, mundane things are... I'm just, you're talking about the same stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this, 
podcast, we're doing a book called Time's Arrow by Martin Amis. And this was my choice, although I chose it about half a year ago. (laughs) So we apologise if this is kind of a short episode. I feel like, yeah, I, I haven't written down many quotes. I haven't I haven't kind of come up with any profound kind of conclusions or read it that deeply, I feel like. I just read it like a normal book and now we're recording this. But I finished it probably about, I don't know, a month and a half ago or something. I finished it about six months ago, so I kind of feel like the moment's passed (laughs) (laughs) in terms of having any inspiration. (laughs) I have reread it since. But I, I did start writing quotes, but then it, it would have just been one of those things where I was, like, writing a quote about every, every page. Yeah. There's just, um, I feel like it's one of those books where it could be quite well illustrated in a, in a few, like, funny quotes. But I just haven't, I haven't got them to hand. So if you've got any, that would be, that would be good. Yeah, I might do. Okay, cool. So just a bit of context. It's by Martin Amos, like I said. I think he's not famous for this book. He's famous for his London trilogy, one book of which is called Money. Um, I've forgotten the other two now. But this one was nominated for the Man Booker Prize in 1991. But it didn't win. Do you know Um, what did win? I don't, actually. Although that is around the time that Remain... Did Remains of the Day win in 91? I feel like that was kind of... In the 90s. Anyway, no, I don't know. Um, And he got the idea from, well, from a couple of places. He apparently read a book called The Nazi Doctors, which is a non-fiction book. And he also, this is a weird coincidence, actually. So I just read Slaughterhouse-Five. Have you read it? Yeah, quite a few years ago. So there's a passage in that which really, really reminded me of Time's Arrow a lot. And I only found out today when I was doing some reading around it that Amos was influenced by that passage. Do you not have that? Yeah, because I've got that in the afterword. Do you not have the afterword in your copy? Oh, no. Oh. Or maybe I do, but I didn't read it. Yeah, because my my afterword says... um, what he was he said what he was influenced by and he mentions the nazi doctors and then he says at the back of my mind i also had a certain short story oh no wait sorry by this other person and a certain paragraph a famous one by kurt vonnegut oh but i don't i don't know what paragraph he means um it is ba- it's basically a paragraph where the guy Billy Pilgrim is watching a movie in reverse and it's a war movie so it's quite cool and yeah it's it's obviously a massive anti-war book right so um he watches and like all of the bombs are going back into the planes and the planes are going back and the bombs are being dismantled and the minerals are being put back into the earth so they can never hurt anyone again and I read I was reading a a Guardian article and it talks about that passage and says um where war becomes a process of redemption and healing an unarguable point is made about the real things horror and idiocy 
Yeah, that's so true. If if you describe it as that backwards, then it has to be like it has to be wrong. If you then look at it the way it actually went. Yeah, exactly. Um, but oh, I haven't even said what this one's about. <laughs> um, so it's oh, the thing is, is that well, I've already ruined it. But I should have done a kind of disclaimer at the beginning because I think this is one of those books where what you know about it in advance really affects the way you read it and the experience you have of it. And so if you haven't read it, I don't know, still listen to the podcast, but just know read that it, it will first. affect your yeah. expectations. Because I, I didn't know anything about it. And I remember you saying, like, don't look it up first. So we, we are just going to say, though, like, aren't we? We're not going to beat around bush. So it's written backwards. Um, well, it's not written backwards, but... Every- <laughs> God. Everything to the narrator happens backwards, and um, yeah, I I had I didn't know that when I first started reading it, and and obviously it does become clear like within the first couple of pages, but it is a complete mind fuck because because you're just like what because it it kind of makes sense but it makes no sense whatsoever, yeah, um, and also I didn't I didn't know then the the sort of story of um who the character is and what he's done in his past so that was the first time I read it that was really creepy like as you gradually realize what's going on see I it was ruined for me because I knew not to look it up or anything but just I happened to turn the book over and just read the blurb one day and it says on the blurb that it is about a Nazi war doctor um who's or Nazi war criminal and so I kind of, from that point, I knew where it was going to end up. That I think that's, I mean, I know they have to write that on the blurb, but I think that's really annoying because mm-hmm. part of the brilliance of it is, like, you, you, you gradually get the idea of what he did, but then it's not proved till, like, near the end and you're sort of thinking, no, like, was he? And then all, all the kind of dreams he has and, and things, they start to all fall into place in your head. And that, like, that kind of absolute horror when you kind of realise, like, that you wouldn't get that if you'd have just read the blurb. Exactly, exactly. So I was I was expecting it to end up in that way, and so I was reading it almost from the beginning, knowing that, oh, this is going to be pertinent when he ends up in Auschwitz and is doing the opposite of this kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, really irritating. But the time thing as well, like you said, you work that out within the first few pages and the the title as well times arrow suggests that there's going to be something weird going on with time and the it actually has a second title so it's called times arrow or the nature of the offense which the nature of the offense yeah which i think the nature of the offense if it was called that it would affect the way you read it as well do you know what i mean not because you'd immediately be like what's his offense what's his offense (laughs) yeah um, so I think we've kind of described what it's about, right? Yeah, so it's about this Nazi war criminal, but it tells his life backwards from when the moment he dies, and the narrator is almost a kind of separate consciousness, which all the readings or all the reviews I read kind of said that that was his consciousness or his soul, but without any memory or whatever of his life. So it was his soul just um, watching his life in reverse um but I don't know why they kind of 
knew that it was meant to be his soul or consciousness. I'm not really sure. It is um, weird because sometimes you think it's like, it's almost like another person just stuck inside his head. Yeah. Because sometimes he refers to him in the third person, but then sometimes he says, we. Yeah. So I don't know. No, but we, we can talk about the narrator in a bit, because that is one of the things that I have written down to talk about. Um, I mean, what did you think? Did you like it? I did really like it, yeah. I think it's definitely one of those books where the first time you read it is going to be almost the best, I think. Um, not that it's just a novelty, but, you know, you can't get that moment back, like, when you didn't know what was going on and then you do find out. So the second time I read it, it wasn't as interesting, really, for me. Yeah. Um, although that being said, then when you do know what he does, then from, like, page one, that's in the back of your mind, so you do read it slightly differently. But, in yeah, in general, I've, I've really... It's hard to say enjoyed, obviously, but I found it a really powerful book. It was, like, one of the most disturbing things I've ever read, I think really like really unsettling um and you're constantly being like challenged because you'll read a sentence and and have to like almost read it backwards to work out what actually happens it was quite a challenging read technically speaking I feel like there's a bit of a theme or reoccurring thing going on with this podcast where (laughs) I have to keep saying I like the book, but I didn't really enjoy reading it. Yeah, I know. We never pick anything enjoyable. <laughs> I know. I can't wait until I can actually say, yeah, I really loved the yeah. experience of reading it. Because this was the same. I kind of found it a bit of a slog. And I don't know how much of that is just my thing about the, like thing, anything books or films or anything that tries to mess with time kind of gives me a bit of a headache and my brain is trying to work out any holes or trying to I don't know so he would he would have this like conversations and stuff in the books but they'd obviously all be backwards and then I would have to read them forwards to make sure they made sense or I don't know I was always looking for like mistakes he'd made you didn't Jess. trust him, Jess. <laughs> well, it's not that. It's just my brain is doing it by itself. It's a really yeah. annoying trait, but it's just anything that messes with time like that, I'm just constantly like, mm, does that make sense, given that blah, 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 blah? It's really annoying. <laughs> I'd hate to be in your brain. I mean, I did, I did read back the conversations. So I read them the way they're printed in the book, and then I would read the conversation backwards, how it would happen in real life. But I, f- I didn't find that too taxing because there actually aren't that many conversations in the whole book. It's probably like five or six. I think he probably did that on purpose. Yeah. Because it was otherwise, yeah, you, you have to read them twice, twice basically. Yeah, so I, I thought it was really good because there was so, it's, it's just such a mix of like humour and just a chi- just chilling like that there's so many funny parts because the narrator just doesn't because he doesn't understand what's going on the way he describes like normal interactions are just quite funny like when there's like female characters who are obviously his cleaner but 
the narrator sees it as them coming in and messing up the house and then you giving <laughs> them money to mess up the house. Yeah. And just, like, ridiculous stuff like that. There's loads of things like that about the exchange of money, isn't there? Yeah. It's kind of um, prostitutes and stuff will give the men money yeah. and then have sex with them. Yeah. And that is kind of at the end when it gets dark, really dark, and it's in Auschwitz, and the narrator consciousness is perceiving that obviously backwards, so he's perceiving it happening in the opposite direction and sees the Doctor as bringing people back to life rather than the ge- rather than genocide. It's like the opposite of that. And, and with the gold where they're putting the gold back in the Jew's teeth. And he's he's talking about it as like the generosity of all the Germans giving this gold. And the doctor himself, the protagonist, is has been, you know, collecting all of this gold over his life to put back in these Jews' teeth. And it's like that horrible realisation that he took that gold from their teeth and has been spending it his whole life. And that's how he managed to buy himself, you know, a new existence. Yeah, his, and ex- escape, his escape, the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, you know, like, by that point, you know it's probably going to be building up to something like Auschwitz. So I think he's got you used to seeing everything backwards. Um, and a lot of it's just, like, his relationships and stuff. So you, you, the narrator thinks the ending of a relationship is the beginning and it starts with, like, a massive fight. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Stuff like that. And that's all, like, there's obviously really dark bits in those in that period of the novel, but it it's nothing compared to then when he's actually in Auschwitz and he's like murdering people every single day with like different experiments and different kinds of poison and the narrator's just like and he's bringing them back to life with this with this gas and that gas and um and just yeah it's it's like completely absurd but really creepy at the same time definitely so is there anything you didn't like about it? Because I was, some of the reviews and stuff I was reading were saying that the time thing is a bit of a gimmick and that it's it's basically a whole novel that's just doing that and it gets repetitive and, and they found that um, it was almost in bad taste having that humour and then for it to go to, you know, that dark place in the end, which I totally don't agree with. I don't think it's in bad taste. I think that's what gives it that contrast and what makes it so shocking. Mm. Yeah, those reviews are stupid um, because it wouldn't it wouldn't work if it just started with him in Auschwitz or everything going backwards. You'd just be really confused. Like, you need... And the whole point is that you need to see him in, with his fake identity for all those decades in America and, like, the psychological trauma, basically, that he goes through, like, knowing what he did and hiding it from everybody um, and the weird ways he's fucked up mentally. Um, like, you, you kind of need all that for the parts during the war to make sense. And I think the, I don't think there's anything wrong with having humour in it at all. Um, because it's not that the the novelist isn't making light of the Holocaust. He's using humour to achieve like a, a certain effect. Yeah, definitely. 
And also, it's always a dark humour right from the beginning as well. I don't yeah. think that at the beginning it's this light-hearted humour which then becomes really dark. Like, it's kind of no. dark even at the beginning because the consciousness or whatever is... I keep calling it that. I'll just call it the narrator. The narrator is seeing it in a certain way, which is funny, but you know it isn't funny in reality yeah, yeah, because exactly. you know the way time goes. One thing yeah. that did piss me off about it was... And this is where, like, my headache comes in. I was I was kind of thinking, why does the narrator not realise that it's going backwards? Because at the beginning, when he first notices something odd, he says, wait a minute, why am I walking backwards into the house? Wait, is it dusk coming or is it dawn? What is the, what is the sequence of the journey I'm on? And I was thinking, if he knows that that is odd or wrong, then he knows that time normally moves linearly. So why can't he just understand that stuff is moving backwards? Yeah, it's a good question. But then maybe (laughs) that's a comment on the Holocaust. And like, if that's literally his entire world, and that's the way everything works from like, the rain in the sky to like the people and what they do and how they interact with each other, maybe he can't like think of an alternative and it's I get just that, the way it why, is. I get that, but why would he assume why would he notice something was weird? Well I think it's more like I don't think he's saying they're doing it wrong. I think he's like he knows the correct way and everyone's walking backwards. I think it's more him questioning stuff that he sees, like, does it have to be that way? It doesn't really make that much sense. Which is like different to thinking it's different it, it's difference between like questioning something and whether it makes sense or not to to like thinking this is actually wrong or this isn't reality if you know what I mean yeah I do know what you mean I think it is a little bit of a hole I don't know it irritated me a little bit because they he didn't need to say that bit at the beginning of like wait a minute why am I walking backwards into the house he could have just described it from a completely yeah, neutral perspective where he doesn't know what's normal and what's not normal. And you could have quickly cottoned on to the fact that they were walking backwards just from that, the narrator describing it like that. I don't know, it was like the narrator had preconceptions and I was like, well, where did those come from? Yeah, I know what you mean, actually, because... But then I think the point... I, I just feel like maybe he did it because he wants the narrator to be confused, like, from the get-go... He doesn't want the narrator to think everything's normal and then randomly at some point go, this is a bit weird. He wants to be, like, confused the whole time. Because then he says, straight after where he says, like, Why, where am I heading? Why is everything backwards? Then then the next paragraph starts with him saying, a routine in any event has certainly established itself. It seems I'm getting the hang of things. Which is just showing how, like, powerful that can be. Like, if as soon as if things become normal then you just accept them yeah definitely and he learns to translate or he learns the backwards language right so the language isn't written backwards in the book apart from maybe the first time he experiences it and then he's like oh and I learned the language (laughs) so so he could actually write it in normal straightforward English yeah, and it just shows how, like, he, you can quickly adapt and change. And if no one else around you's kind of 
saying what you're saying, like, this is wrong or this is strange, then you just kind of accept it, even though he's kind of questioning it throughout. Yeah, definitely. And that is, it's interesting in loads of different ways because of that. Like, I wrote down, why is it backwards? Like, why is it written backwards? Um, And what effects does that have? And one of the most obvious ones is just the cause and effect thing, which obviously a lot of humour comes from that, but just the... It makes you realise maybe how arbitrary... Not arbitrary, maybe that's the wrong word, but our human experience of the world is obviously um, one of linear time, and that affects our understanding of everything, and it affects our understanding of morality, because... You know, if you view time backwards, then bad things become good things. You know, the good things he does in the book, looked at backwards, appear to be good things. Yeah, so you're saying that our sense of morality just comes from going, okay, well, if I stab you with this fork, it's going to hurt you, so therefore stabbing with a fork is wrong. Yeah, it's about consequence, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's... In terms of why he does it, I think it's the sort of, I guess, the question that, like, artists or, you know, anybody since the Holocaust has, trying, has tried to grapple with, or just the world, really, is, like, how could something like that happen? And so this is his way of trying to explore that question. Yeah. Why, so, do you think he comes to a conclusion, or the, the book has anything um, to say about that? I d- well, I think basically, like you were saying, that it's all about causality and consequence, and he's saying that in the Holocaust or the, what the Nazis did, it, it basically got rid of consequence and it got rid of cause and effect and time. Because in Auschwitz, they have the, like, the fake clock on the wall that just painted it on to kind of deceive people. And he says, time had no arrow, not here. So... The way it, the way it was like allowed to happen or occurred was because the idea of consequence or the idea of so he's saying that time doesn't really exist there. So if time doesn't exist, then like consequences don't exist, and therefore morality doesn't exist. Maybe like there's no like they've kind of it's like completely turned away from rationality. Yeah, yeah. It's like an amoral place. And I mean, his... So, the consequences for his life, obviously he... I mean, if you're viewing his life forward rather than backwards, he has to move first around Europe and then to America. And you see that he is kind of stressed out by that, but in terms of the human consequence for him, what did you think about the way it portrayed that as in how him committing those atrocities and being part of those crimes impacted him as a person in one sense he's gotten away with it essentially because he manages to create like a you know a so-called normal life for himself in America um and has relationships and becomes a doctor there um so you could say, like, you know, there aren't any consequences. He basically got away with it. But I think, like, psychologically and as a person, he's kind of... Well, he's not really a person. 
he's almost a bit like dead inside. Yeah, that's exactly how I read it. And he he isn't he doesn't really display a lot of humanity in the sense that he has these relationships with women, but none of them are particularly intimate or vulnerable. Like he's quite a, you know, he's very promiscuous, right, at the beginning. And as in at the end of his life, kind of, <clears throat> or when he's like middle-aged. Um, but it's all very, I don't know, maybe clinical or you get the feeling there's not that much emotion. And so throughout the book, as it's moving backwards through his life, he almost comes to life a little bit more in, in the sense he becomes more human. And that, the contrast with that kind of, the sex at the beginning is when he's becoming younger and when he is at Auschwitz and doing all of those things, he has a wife but can't have sex with her because he's impotent. And that was almost like a process of him becoming softer or more vulnerable or less resilient kind of thing. Whereas What, because of what he's doing? Because of him getting... So... <laughs> It's hard to talk about because obviously it's backwards and so if you took his life forwards as in so the opposite way of this book he is born innocent you know as everyone is and then he is quite young when he does this stuff when he becomes when he goes into the concentration camps and the stuff is so awful it's obviously affecting him in the way that he can't have sex with his wife you know, it's having those repercussions. And then as he moves through his life, he becomes hardened to that or more resilient. Like, he doesn't feel that kind of, like, guilt. Or you don't really see any sign that he does anyway. I think he's, like, yeah, when he becomes impotent, it's because it's all happening there, like, in in the surface of his mind and his life. And then when he escapes to America, it... He, he tries to escape his past as well. So he like physically escapes, but also psychologically he's trying to escape and basically represses it more and more and more over the years to the point where it just comes out in his like daily night, nightly nightmares, <laughs> daily nightmares. Like that, that's when it kind of comes to the surface of his subconscious. But I think it's quite interesting, like his obsession with like sex and, and promiscuity because it's almost like he's, trying to get some kind of redemption by being like physically intimate with women like he's trying to he's trying to, by having sex all the time with different people he's like he's trying to see humans as humans again and like rather than just bodies um and he says at one point like he he was like it was like an immersion in the bodies of others. And I think that's describing when he's just having sex all the time. But obviously that could apply to like what he was doing in Auschwitz as well. Um, but he he basically just failed to see the, the bodies as human beings anymore. Yeah. So I don't know whether then like when he is able to have sex again, it's because he's repressed it so much that... He's, it's just like, it's just that part of his existence has just been cut off. I think it's that. I think he's just um, withdrawn, probably emotionally, because there's a lot of 
who's the main woman that he sleeps with as in the one that keeps reoccurring Irene because there's all these references to conversations they have where she's saying what have you done you know what is it what is this big secret you can't tell me and he won't tell her and it's like that's why he's able to have sex because he's just closed off that part of himself so he's not actually becoming intimate he's physically intimate but he's not intimate in any other way with any yeah. other human and loads of like of the women who break up with him just say like I just feel like I don't know you like I feel like everything he does is an act like even when he's being the perfect doctor and giving out lollies to the children and you know being a good person I feel like it's all kind of fake yeah it's all just a cup it's all just a hide isn't it like he does everything because of fear of getting found out yeah yeah it's weird because you said redemption and I was thinking about that and when you read the story the way the narrator does as in when you reverse his life it becomes a story of redemption because all of that stuff he has at the beginning fades and disappears and he and you know when you look at the stuff he's doing as a doctor backwards, it looks like he's butchering people or hurting them, as in they come to him well and they leave him ill. And then it moves on and he ends up in the camp and he is part of this miracle of bringing this race back to life. And then after that, obviously, he is like a happy, normal human being because he hasn't... The stuff that he's gone through, those the bad things he's done, he hasn't done. So he's kind yeah. of freed of them. So it becomes it's a like story a return, of redemption. Yeah, it's like a return to innocence and his redemption. And that's why it's such a, like, it's so, like mental gymnastics to read because, like you said, like, in Auschwitz, like, the narrator thinks it's like people are, <laughs> people are coming to him, like, dead or dismembered or out of the gas chamber and he's bringing them back to life. And he thinks that's like his, you know, that was his like purpose in life is to go there and save all these people and save this race of people and bring them out, bring them down from the, like the sky. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of ashes or whatever. Ugh, it's really fucked up. There's something really, really powerful about, about that and about the telling of genocide or the Holocaust backwards. And it makes it almost spiritual as in or the opposite of spiritual because when you when you put it backwards like that it becomes like a miracle it becomes like a force of or like a act of god like some omnipotent kind of creation tale and so yeah, because you of the think scale what of is, it. Yeah. yeah and what is the opposite of that it's the opposite of that which just makes you go cold yeah, it does, it really gives you the creeps, like, I, I kept getting, like, kind of shivers, like, when I was reading that, because everything that we, like, I think he, I think the, also one of the reasons why maybe he did write it this way is that there's obviously been so much written about it, so much said about it, that some of the symbols of the Holocaust have just become so well known, and you know, they they almost, like, lose their meaning in a way like you know we all know about the gas chambers and we all know about you know the ghettos and them getting taken there on trains and all all the like 
awful things that happen, but sometimes you become a bit, like, immune to hearing about them. So him doing it backwards, it's like all of those things suddenly become these amazing acts of kindness, like life is created out of gas, life is created out of the fire. Um, it kind of reminds you of how how awful it was. Yeah, it gives it a fresh potency, I think. It makes the familiar kind of unfamiliar again. You see it from a different angle and it's, yeah, it's really horrific. And there's so much, like, I feel like one of the themes throughout is, like, babies specifically. Mm-hmm. And that, and, like, that that was always... Up there. there was one bit I was going to ask you about, though, because he, he always talks about the, the bomb baby, <laughs> as in B-O-M-B. And I, I think I, must, I got, like, a bit confused with that part. I don't know. I don't know. I had exactly the same issue. Like, so he has this reoccurring dream where he's in a room with a bunch of other people and they're almost... Are they operating on a baby or leaning over and then there's a there's a baby that he just has this sense is going to destroy stuff? Is that it? Yeah. But it never... It's never really explained, or I didn't think it was explained, what the bomb baby is. No, me neither. Because, like, obviously, we like you know that he you know, murders babies, basically, through his experiments or just, like, putting them in the the gas chambers. But I didn't quite understand the specific bomb baby thing. So I thought when that was coming up at first, I thought it was going to be a particular instance where he does something horrible to a baby or, I don't know, about one particular occurrence but maybe it's more symbolic than that but I don't know what it would symbolize yeah I'm not quite sure like a bot I guess like a bomb like you know a bomb you drop a bomb and it destroys everything I guess maybe it could be like oh I don't know uh I was just thinking because it just reminded me of the slaughterhouse five passage and at the end of that, it talks about Hitler becoming a baby. So, may, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with... Because obviously babies are a big theme. And that's all about, like, the innocence thing. And, like, when a baby's born, it, it's obviously at the start of its life. It hasn't done anything yet. But potentially it's a ticking time bomb in terms of it's going to do something. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. I don't know. Maybe he's the bomb baby. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he is, because he, because then, like, he was the one, he's, then he does all this horrific stuff, like, he destroys things, and then it ends with him being a baby. I don't know. But then is that saying that stuff's inevitable? So, this is another question I had written down, it's like, what do you think it says about, if anything, what do you think it says about human nature? And, I don't know how inevitable it was, because there's a kind of, because it's told backwards, it almost feels a bit fatalistic. Yeah, I felt like that as well, especially when he's just he's in the stage where he's like a teenager or a young boy, and he's gone on some like camping trip, and it's actually where Auschwitz and Auschwitz ended up being like the same area of land. And then, so obviously, the narrator is like, "Oh, a return to Auschwitz," and obviously, and then 
that's quite creepy because you this is just like an innocent camping trip basically for this kid where nothing's even happened yet so that makes it seem like it was inevitable in a weird way yeah um just go, I don't think this is a bit like an answer to my question but just going back to redemption I was just thinking because he obviously we've said that backwards it's it's a story of redemption but obviously for every adult you're born innocent and then you do bad stuff right everyone's going to do bad stuff at some point in their life and the linear nature of time as we experience it means you can never undo the stuff you do so how is redemption possible to anyone for anyone and like is redemption is the kind of message of the book that redemption is not possible for certain things like can certain acts never be redeemed yeah maybe because it doesn't I feel like you get the sense like it doesn't matter how many um like babies he successfully delivers or how many operations he does that save people's lives for the rest of his life and how many people he heals like it's never going to be enough yeah that's the sense I get as well and then the narrator the only, the only optimistic thing I can kind of take from it is that the, the narrator is supposedly him, but without any of his memories and stuff. And he obviously has quite a good moral compass. Yeah. So he doesn't like it when he misuses women and stuff. So maybe it's saying, like, everyone has... Everyone's born with the chance to be good or evil, essentially. Yeah. And because the the narrator is kind of... is just a perceiver and not an actor. And so he sees things kind of... without any ego, in a way. And sees things as they are, which is bad. Like I don't know, maybe the the narrator is meant to be the kind of like human essence or whatever before it gets tainted with. I don't know. So maybe it's like because the narrator has absolutely no control over anything that happens. So like you said, he doesn't really have an ego. In the sort of Buddhist sense of the word, as in he doesn't need to impress anyone no. or. No. Yeah. So maybe, maybe like it's saying that it's the ego in us that is the thing that like means that we end up doing terrible things. Yeah, I think it could definitely be read like that because you kind of think, why is he doing the stuff he's doing? And there's this, the bit when they're in the camp and they're essentially raping the, the, um, the the prisoners there. Um, and he kind of joins in at one point, right? But you get the sense that that is a case of just the fact everyone else is doing it, and so he learns to suppress his innate kind of revulsion at the idea. I don't know, that's how I read it. Yeah, but then he also... I don't remember that bit, because... Oh, no, I do do remember him. Yeah, I know, I do remember that now. There's another bit where he, like, where they... As, as the people are being, like, pushed into the gas chambers and rounded up and stuff, like, the, the other soldiers sort of grope the women or sexually assault them, and he always 
says to them, don't do that. Oh, yeah, but it's actually the opposite way round because it starts off him doing that, which is obviously later on in time. But at the beginning, he's joining in. Wait, so beginning as in... <laughs> oh, my God. As in the beginning, as in earlier in his life. <laughs> oh, what? So in the when he first gets to the camp, he does rape them and then... Yeah, but then he becomes impotent with his wife. I don't know. I don't know. This, this is what I mean. It's like a bit... It gives me a headache trying to work it out because it's going in two different directions. (laughs) It's weird though, but it but maybe that's just showing like the the like gross and horrible like hypocrisy of, you know, people who were Nazis at the time because on the one hand he can literally murder like thousands of people, but then he has some weird sense of honour about like women's bodies. And all, but you shouldn't you shouldn't rape them before you murder them. Like just that he just that he could have like a normal family as well, and then do that. Maybe it's trying to show how that was possible, because that's what people always say, isn't it? Like how could they like do all of that stuff and then have like a wife and kids? Yeah. But actually, you know, they did, and people do all the time. Like people do have families and and are kind to them and then do terrible things to others yeah there's definitely something more you could say about sex and his relationship to women but I just can't until I'd like mapped out all the events like on a bit of paper I can't remember in enough detail like I know there's so much there must be something to it like his yeah like his impotency and everything yeah and also like there's some weird stuff with his wife like obviously when you're reading it through the book it's like confusing but what what it is in reality is that when he first is like courting her he's really loving and kind and then they get married and then basically after they've got married he becomes quite like abusive towards her and I think he does like physically like assault her a lot. And is that all before, as in before, in his life before he's in the camp? Yeah, that's all before he's in the camp. Because then when he's actually in the camp, she obviously disagrees with what he's doing. Yeah, and then in the end she leaves him basically. Yeah, or in the beginning. <laughs> oh. I feel like people listening to this are going to have a headache <laughs> just because we've got a headache. <laughs> it's probably uh, not clear at all what we're talking about. So, yeah, I know. Sorry, everybody. And we keep being like in the beginning, but not the beginning, but the beginning. <laughs> oh, God, this is going to be a mess. <laughs> yeah, we should have come up with a shorthand way of saying it. Like what? Like the fake beginning. <laughs> I don't but there was, but the one scene, like, if we, yeah, let's, because we're talking about redemption a lot, like, there's the scene where he is, he basically confesses to the priest about what he did. Yeah. Um, and he says, in a situation like that, certain acts suggested that, suggested themselves, we lost our feeling about the human body. Is that just because he wants somebody to say you're forgiven? Like, is that him just trying to come up with an excuse? Like, what does it mean saying in a situation like that, certain acts suggested themselves? Is it just saying that because in the, in the like, 
in the world of Auschwitz, there was no, like, right or wrong, wrong in a way. So as a scientist... I think that's somebody, it. I think it's yeah. He he just it, there was no reason not to do those things. I think it's like what you said almost, where it's out of time, and it's almost um, an environment that doesn't have a context. And I think morality. Well, my understanding of morality is that it's a bit innate, but it's also driven by context and driven by what's socially acceptable. So if you're in a context where stuff is acceptable, I guess maybe, I don't know, things suggest themselves that wouldn't otherwise. Maybe that's what he's yeah. saying. And then there's that, I think that's in the section called Here There Is No Why, which is like, a f- I, I didn't know this, but I looked it all up afterwards. That's like a, fa- a famous um, quote from another really famous book about the Holocaust by Primo Levi. Is that how you say his name? Uh, I don't I know. I might actually. have pronounced his name completely wrong, but he's like a famous Holocaust survivor who wrote those novels. But um, he wrote like an autobiographical one. And the quote here, there is no why, is when he was in, he was basically imprisoned and then there was an icicle hanging in between the bars of his cell, which he managed to get that he was going to drink because like, he was thirsty you know basically starving and dehydrated and then the Nazi guard took it off him and he said to the Nazi why and the Nazi said here there is no why and that's what that section's called which is like which is a breakdown of cause and effect again yeah but yeah there isn't any yeah Oh, I feel like I need to think about that for five minutes before I'd be able to say anything about it. You can think about it and we can cut that bit out. <laughs> no, I'll think about it afterwards. I'll write a blog on it if I come up with anything good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, like, I feel like I'm actually just looking at the contents page, at the names of the chapters, and they are, it's kind of like they're all indicating what we're saying, like, that, that we're, like, that those horrors took place because there was no concept of time or rationality and like and and if you're a doctor then you do doctory things and that's fine because you're a doctor um that was a dumb way of saying it but like chapter three is called because i'm a healer everything i do heals which is one of those things which i can't remember the word but you know like where it's it's not what that doesn't necessarily mean the other what's the phrase like I can't explain it. But but basically, we know that what he was doing wasn't healing, but because that's in his title and that's his role, he's a doctor and he's trained in medicine, therefore what he's doing heals. Like It's like fake logic in a way. Is that basically just another kind of version of everyone was just doing their job kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And in, the, in that context, he was doing his job in a obviously a very I think it's interesting that he so actually a question that you might know the answer to because I don't is is it based on an actual real life person or is it more just a amalgamation of people he read about um I think it's yeah I, I don't think it's based on a specific 
person. I think the the, the uh, there there's another character that it is based on a real person. I can't remember his name in this book, but basically, you know, like the sort of head doctor. Yeah. Who's sort of like, yeah, like shows up and he kind of leads the whole um the whole thing. That's that's based on like the really famous Nazi doctor, who was in charge of everything. But I think our guy is just maybe just an amalgamation of one of many. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But it's... Obviously, he could have written a backwards novel without anyone involved in the Nazi project. Um, But he chose to do it about a doctor. And that obviously works particularly well because you have the contrast between what he's doing at the end of his life, i.e. beginning of the novel, and what he's doing later on in the novel and earlier on in his life, in in the sense that I think in the book, doctors, I think even on the first page or something, he describes doctors as the gatekeepers of life. So they can kind of do both. They can ward off death, but they can also invite it in. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, like, obviously it's kind of pointless to sort of compare how awful different things were because it's all awful. But just the idea of doctors using that knowledge to do what they did, like, that's what is really hard to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, that is... That is kind of, I don't know, horrific in and of itself, like reappropriating those skills that are meant to give people life in the most grotesque way to bring about like mass death like that and you kind of I don't know I'm probably just putting my own like opinions onto this quite a lot but when you find out about his early life when he was like a medical student and he was training you do get a sense that they're not teaching them kind of the moral responsibility of that knowledge. Like, they're just teaching them about the body as a piece of flesh, basically. Because you don't... I feel like like there's a lot of jokes about the female corpses and stuff like that. And on the one hand, they're you know, maybe they're just, like, immature young men. But also, like, maybe that's what's wrong with, like... that was what was wrong with society is it was not the morals didn't come into it yeah just kind of like knowledge and then also because and then also because like he he was like becoming his his early career was coinciding with the the gradual um like taking back of rights of jewish people and so it worked completely worked in his favor because it they like removed all of the Jewish doctors, so he you know was able to get promoted quicker, and he could see his lack of experience and blame it on them and say that they were you know taking all the jobs and things like that, which he yeah which he does describe in the novel. So again, it's just it all at the beginning was just feeding into his ego basically. I feel like that's quite a. The idea of scientists or doctors learning a skill but compartmentalising it away from any kind of morality or, um, yeah, like, wider kind of philosophy of 
if you should be doing something is quite relevant to just other things going on in in that era as in like second world war because obviously that's when the nuclear bomb was invented and that's obviously a big like that was a scientific project which scientists worked on and did their job as scientists but obviously changed the world forever and you know invented something which was used to kill so many thousands of people it's kind of that like the teaching of science and knowledge and then just utilizing it in a really mechanical not morally guided way also is there like I can't remember at what point this happens but does he get boners when he's operating on people oh yeah I remember that that's in um I think that's when he's in America okay yeah I don't think that's when he's in Germany I think it's when he's in America it says like he had like half a hard on or something but I think that's because he's he like like is having sex with the nurse who's helping him in the operation oh okay that actually um just reminds me a little bit of that Adam Kay book (laughs) which book uh, this is going to hurt. Oh, when he's having a wank and then he goes it like he gets called in to deliver a baby really quickly, <laughs> so he delivers oh, a baby yeah. while he's still got an erection. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> uh, um, why can't we do a book like that? That's actually enjoyable to read. <laughs> I know, maybe I should change my next book choice, because I don't know how, like, happy Giovanni's room's going to be either. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick a funny book. <laughs> I've read quite a lot, the thing is, I've read quite a lot of funny books in the last few years, but I want to pick stuff I haven't read. Yeah. So, I don't have anything else to say about this book, do you? I mean... I mean, I don't think we've done it justice, really. No. It's like we're not being clever enough right now. (laughs) I feel like we've just said really obvious stuff. (laughs) Like, the Holocaust was bad, and people were just doing what they were told. (laughs) It's really hard. I think I personally was just completely underprepared for this. But to be honest, I don't know. I don't know whether I'd ever had anything more clever to say about it. I don't it. think... I'd, yeah, I feel like me and you are not really going to be able to articulate, like, why the Holocaust was so awful and why it happened. Exactly. That's quite a big ask of us. Yeah, but that's why fiction is a good medium to do that in. Yeah, Particularly yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. we can't do it. That's the responsibility of the artists and the novelists. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Our responsibility is to, <laughs> I don't know, have confusing, mundane chats about it. <laughs> I can read, there's one bit that I read today that just made me laugh, like, just as an example of why it's funny. Because people might not get how it could be funny, based on what we talked about. But um, there's one bit where he's he's gone out for dinner with... A woman and he says or the narrator's describing it and, and the narrator says we finish our meal and sit there doggedly describing it to the waiter with the menus there to jog our memory 
that's basically what it's like the whole way through. Yeah. I think the first half basically consists of jokes like that. Like, every yeah. sentence is about just, like, poo going in you the wrong way. Or, like, no, wait, poo should never go in you. <laughs> As yeah. opposed to going in but you the like, right way. <laughs> yeah. But just, like, the, 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 the city council come and give you your trash, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it is funny. Um, okay, well, now you just say, you've already said what book you're doing, but just say it again. What's it called? Oh, yeah. Um, I've picked James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room just because it's been on my shelf as something I wanted to read for a long time. And my friend Catherine really likes it, so why not? Oh, okay, cool. Well, I don't know how long it'll take to get it because obviously our library's shut, bookshops are shut. So I'm going to have to order it online. Yeah, and it'll be behind about 50 million orders for, like, lentils and nappies. Well, also, like, I do have a copy, so obviously I could read it and then lend it to you if yours hasn't arrived by then. But hopefully yeah, well, it will let's have. try and read it quickly and do it quickly. Let's not do a repeat of this. Yeah, we're just going to bash them bash out them now, out. Jess. Yes. Have a yeah, deadline. we should because I got an email saying we've got to re um, do our domain, findthelit.com. Oh. So we've had it for a year, so it's like oh. if we're going to pay for it for another year, oh. we need to actually put some shit on there. <laughs> yeah, we're paying for this. <laughs> God. Okay, and um, we need to give it an, a, a score out of 10. Um. Uh, I'd probably give it an eight. I don't know. I always give everything a good score, don't I? Yeah, but that's... I mean, I... Yeah. I think... Yeah, I think I'll give it... Um... A nine. <laughs> Just a nine. <laughs> I was going to try and do one of my nine somethings out of ten and I was staring at my notes and it was all just about like, I couldn't, just none of it I could make a joke of. Oh God. Um, nine, oh God, yeah, it's hard. Nine, nine, um, oh, that doesn't make sense. The bit where he's, where he's like, it looks like he's, he's, taking the face cream out of his skin and putting it into the bottle. <laughs> his skin is producing cream. <laughs> How are you going to get an object from that? Nine bottling <laughs> bottles of face cream. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't think of anything better, to be fair, so... Uh, well, it's quite a short read. So if anyone's thinking they're interested, it, it wouldn't take you long to read it. What, are we talking about your one now? No, I'm talking about Time's Arrow. Oh, right. <laughs> Someone, and my copy is a first edition from 1991, and in the front, I can't, I can't read who it's written to. It looks like Darian or something. From Chris. Christmas, 1991. Oh, wow, really? That's, somebody would have read that at Christmas in 1991. The year, we, the year we were old. born. Yeah, I would yeah. have been... Nine, no, 11... No. Yeah, 11, 11 months, something like that. 
<laughs> okay, we're just rambling now, aren't we? Let's wrap this up. <laughs> no one will be listening by this point anyway. <laughs> okay, well, thanks to those people who have listened all the way yeah. through. Which is, shout out to Em's parents. <laughs> <laughs> Even they might have given up. What? (laughs) Said our most avid loyal fans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye.